Knowledge uh, is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Uh, that quote uh, is attributed to Miles Kington. He was a British journalist, musician, and broadcaster. Uh, and I felt like wisdom uh, would be an appropriate topic to uh, preach on today for our service because we've honored our graduates, we're honoring our mothers, uh, and when you graduate and you move on to whatever's next, whatever that may be, whether from eighth grade or high school or college, uh, you need that wisdom. It's an incredibly useful thing to have. Uh, and of course, mothers are a tremendous source of wisdom. Uh, and in fact, I've asked our church family to share uh, some of their mother's wisdom uh, with us over the years. And uh, we're going to, we have some of that. I've summarized it uh, as best I could. Um, but some of the wisdom from different moms is don't put God in a box. Don't try to limit what he can do. Uh, connect with and love people. Go to church every week. Show up, especially when others don't. Put others first, like Jesus did. Uh, understand that there are two sides to everything. Listen well. Try to understand others. The best things in life are not tangible. Be disciplined physically, mentally, and spiritually. Tell people they're valued and loved. And my favorite of all the answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Because the best wisdom, of course, is from God's word, which I think you can see running through all of those. It's the inspiration for a lot of those things that, that people shared. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we want to do the work that God is preparing for us, if we want to do those good works that they don't save us, but they can help point others to Jesus, we must know and understand the scriptures and put them into action. Because James 1, 22-25 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who forgets, excuse me, someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So we see wisdom and foolishness contrasted there, and that's a common theme in the Bible. So our knowledge may be an awareness of something, but wisdom is understanding, well, how do I use that information? I know this, but how do I use it? How do I put it into action? Because James says right there, if we, if we know what the Word says and we don't do it, well, it's kind of ridiculous, right? Like looking in the mirror and going away and forgetting what we look like. Um, so we have, we have knowledge, we have wisdom, and then we have another category that I want to call biblical wisdom because it, it's not enough just to know something. It's not enough just to understand how to use it. But biblical wisdom, I, I would say, is knowing how to apply that in a way that honors and glorifies God, something that is in agreement with his word. Uh, and so to, to think about wisdom and to think about knowledge, we're going to look at the life of King Solomon today. And we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 3 where 
Solomon is offering sacrifices to God at Gibeon. Um, and then God shows up. Okay, it says, The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. So Solomon shows that he's got a little bit of extra wisdom uh, to start with because he asks for uh, discernment, the ability to distinguish between right and wrong so he can govern his people better. Uh, God is very pleased with that answer. Uh, it would have been very easy to say, well, just make me rich. Give me a long life. Take care of my enemies. Get rid of them, whatever it is. And, but God honors him for not asking for those things. The very next story that follows these verses, <coughs> excuse me, uh, is the one where uh, Solomon famously suggests cutting a baby in half uh, to settle a dispute between these two women, knowing that the real mother would never uh, agree to that, while the other one uh, would go right for it. So God didn't just give Solomon wisdom that he turned around and he used immediately, uh, but he also gives him riches and honor and promises to make him a king like no other during his lifetime. Solomon was a great king. He was well-received everywhere. He was, he was rich. He was powerful. He was wise. He had it all together at first from the outside looking in. God also promises him a long life if Solomon can follow one not-so-little instruction. It says, walk in obedience to God and keep his decrees and commands as David, Solomon's father, did. Of course, if you are familiar with Solomon's life, you know that he, like all of us, like everybody except for Jesus, struggled to live up to that standard. In 1 Kings chapter 11, we see where Solomon really struggles. In between, he, he builds this palace, he dedicates it to God, he dedicates the temple, uh, does a lot of wonderful things. But then, in 1 Kings chapter 11, the first two verses say this, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. 
They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. In 1 Kings chapter 3, right before the passage we did read earlier, it mentioned that Solomon had married Pharaoh's daughter. And then later here, it mentions that Solomon loved many foreign women, and he married them as well. Verse 2 highlights the fact that they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them. Why? Because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Solomon is the wisest man on earth. He already has this wisdom from God. But is he using it? Doesn't seem like it. He would have been intimately familiar with God's instructions. Okay? He knew what would happen if he married these foreign women. He had that knowledge, but he sure didn't use it. He was wise, but he failed to take advantage of that wisdom. He's not really thinking through his decisions here. Maybe, maybe he had a, a false sense of security because he knows, well, I'm the wisest man on earth. God told me so. And he felt pretty good about himself. Well, I can handle this. It might be a problem for everybody else, but I'm the wisest man on earth. Maybe he got a bit of a big head and he overestimated his ability uh, to withstand the pressure that he might have faced from those wives to worship their false gods. Maybe he forgot that instruction from God in the first place. Maybe he got caught up in everything else and didn't continue seeking God and just kind of well, drifted off back behind and just wasn't important to him anymore. Either way, his wisdom did not help him because he wasn't relying on it. He just did what he wanted to do. And that leads to our first point. Possessing wisdom is useless if we don't use it. Absolutely useless if we don't put it into action. Right? That's, that's part of why. That's one of the things um, I want to do. We have a great wealth of wisdom here in this church. Okay? I have, uh, on a couple different occasions, reached out and asked for, hey, what are some of your favorite Bible passages? I, I've got a, a paper form that I'm going to take the answers that I've received and uh, I'll hit some of you up after service again today uh, if you haven't already done that for me or even if you have and you have more to share, I'll take as many as I can. Uh, I want to put those answers together, your favorite passages and, and what God's taught you and everything. I want to spend part of my summer putting those together to put it in the hands of our students so they can share in your wisdom. The, these things that, that you know, that you have lived, that you have understood that will benefit them if they will read it, if they will apply it uh, to their lives. Sometimes we keep it to ourselves. Sometimes we don't share it as we should. So our, our wisdom is useless if we don't use it, if we don't share it. It's no use to know what the Bible says, to know what God has instructed if we won't use it. We can tell all kinds of facts about the Bible. We could know how many chapters and verses and the trivia about where it was wit written and when it was written and what these certain words mean, uh, where the middle is, the shortest verse, the longest verse, the shortest and longest chapters, all these things. But unless it changes our lives and our hearts and we put it into action, 
all that knowledge is useless. We can possess it, but we have to put it into action. So we want to we want to share it. We want we want to use it in our own lives, and we want to share it with others so they can have the same thing. So with that in mind, let's keep on reading in First Kings eleven. We're going to read verses three through eight now. <clears throat> now Solomon had seven hundred wives of royal birth and three hundred concubines, and his wives led him astray. Shocker. As Solomon grew old, not. Not because they're wives, but because God said, if you marry all these foreign women, they're going to lead you astray. Okay, it's not shocking because God promised this is what's going to happen. Not because they're wives. I want to make that clear. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. <coughs> Excuse me. Do I have seven and eight on slide there, Jen? No? All right. Let me find my place in here then. My bad. Uh, so on a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. Solomon's wives, they did exactly what God said they were going to do. They turned his heart after those foreign gods, and he not only allowed for people to worship them, but he made it even easier for them. He built high places for those false gods. They turned his heart away from God. In 1 Kings 3, 3, it speaks of Solomon's love for the Lord. But in 1 Kings 11, 1, it speaks of his love for his wives. That's a contrast in the focus. It's not wrong to love your wife, husbands, but you should love God first and foremost. And that will hopefully inform the way that you love your life, your wife and your life. But uh, <clears throat> sometimes we're like this too. Sometimes we get focused on the wrong things. We love the things of the world more than we love God. It may be momentary, it may be temporary, but it's easy to fall in love with things other than God. Sometimes we really love God and we can't get enough of Him in His presence and studying His Word and worshiping Him. But other times, we're more in love with the world, maybe with our jobs, or maybe... We're, we're focused on the momentary troubles this world throws at us. There's lots of them, right? It's easy to get distracted by the many things going on around us. But Solomon's focus strayed and it led him into danger. And the same thing happens for us when we move our focus from God. You know, in, in, in Sunday school last week, we've been looking at uh, the book of Job in our class and uh, talking about how Job faced all these things and all these different troubles. And one of the, the people in our class talked about how some of the roughest times in her life, she can look back now and she notices, well, those were the times where I wasn't following God very much at all, where I was far from God. It's not ironic that that happened. Those are very much tied together, right? We find in our lives that the times when we struggle the most are the times when God has not been a priority for us. Or at least I know that's the truth for me. 
Um, Solomon can relate to that too. Verse 4 of 1 Kings 11 says, His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as God as the heart of David his father had been. Remember back in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 14, where it says, I'll give you a long life if you follow my commands as David your father did. Well, this is where it bites him, right? This is where the, the catch catches up to him. Verse 6 says he was doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. He had warnings, he had wisdom, he had knowledge of God's word. He had a great example to follow from his father, but he still fell short of God's standard. And we fall into that same kind of trap all the time. We have, we have warnings, we have God's word more accessible than it's ever been. Uh, I carry access to God's word with me everywhere I go. It is absolutely wonderful to have that when I need it. But how often do I still neglect it? God's word is freely available, yet too often we neglect to understand it fully enough or, or give it the proper importance in our lives, and we face the consequences of our disobedience. 1 Kings 11.9 says, As a consequence of his actions, the Lord was angry with Solomon. Uh, Matthew Henry's commentary on the Bible says in, in 2 Samuel 12.24, it says God loved Solomon. In 1 Kings 10.9, it says God delighted in Solomon. And over here in 1 Kings 11, it says that that has turned to anger. So our second point is, ignoring wisdom leads us to trouble. There are so many times that we have ignored what we knew we needed to do and found ourselves in trouble, right? I, I, I know I have. Uh, what's the harm in eating one more slice of pizza before I go play dodgeball with the youth group? I found out. It's not fun, right? What, what if I just make this one last comment to my wife who's already annoyed with me? That doesn't go well either. Sometimes you know the right thing to do, but you just can't bring yourself to do it. What if I just go do what I want instead of doing what God wants me to do? Well, you're going to end up in trouble. You could fill in the blanks. You know what I'm talking about. You've been there. You've done that. Uh, unless you're all better than me, which is entirely possible. But ignoring wisdom leads us to trouble. Verses 11 through 13 uh, of 1 Kings 11 there. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not, not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So Solomon is only saved immediate misery by the fact that his father was so faithful. Boy, he blew it. He had everything right there in his hands. He had all the wisdom he could ever need, and he blew it. And yet God still had some grace, right? God still showed some mercy. Solomon escapes the immediate punishment because God says the kingdom won't be split in his lifetime, but he has to live with the knowledge of what's coming. And I, you know, as a parent now, I understand 
it, it probably hurt him a little bit more knowing that everything was going to get so bad for his children. He knew that things were going to be worse for them than they were for him, and that probably hurt him a lot. It's such a tragedy that could have been avoided. God had specifically instructed Solomon, here's what you need to do. Obey my commands like your father David did. But he threw it all away for some advantageous political alliances and to please his wives. Things that, from a worldly perspective, would have been very wise. But from God's perspective, were most certainly not. Solomon's actions, they're described in verse 6, as evil. And the word used there is the word raw, which had previously been used to describe the actions of the Israelites and judges, where they are constantly turning from God and having to be saved again. It was used to describe the behavior of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, which God wiped out. It was used to describe the generation that God wiped out with the flood in Noah's time. But it had never been used to that point to describe either David or Solomon. But following this passage, it's used 33 times in the book of First and Second Kings, according to Strong's Concordance, to describe the actions of different kings that would follow in place. Solomon's actions, his, his turn to, away from God and towards evil, led to a pattern of behavior that had far-reaching effects to the point where Jerusalem was eventually destroyed, the Israelites were carried into exile, and that leads us to our final point. A failure to follow the path of wisdom can have long-lasting effects. Generations after generation is impacted by Solomon's decisions, and sometimes the same can be true for us. But the same can also be true in the opposite, right? A generation that makes the right choices can have a positive impact for the ones to follow. I love my parents. They're wonderful, but they didn't raise me in church. Thank God someone got a hold of me. He got a hold of me through some other people. And I'm going to do everything I can to raise my children to know the Lord. And hopefully they will turn around and do the same with theirs. I hope and I pray that Whitney and I are kind of the start of a different path for our family as it goes on. Right? Ignoring wisdom leads us to trouble, but following wisdom can lead us to great places. Using wisdom uh, can have great benefits when we have it. So the decisions that we make, they must be informed <coughs> excuse me, by God's wisdom, not the wisdom of the world. We're bombarded with information on every side. So it takes a true understanding of God's word to help us know which way to go. You know, there, there's not a wiser thing than you can do than to choose to submit yourself to God. To make him your Lord and your Savior. To give your life to studying and following him. More than anything in this world, knowing the love of God is the wisest thing we can possibly do. As we come to our invitation time, we're going to sing one last song here. Uh, I, I pray that you will all consider the areas of your life as, as I do mine and, and try to decide where am I relying on worldly wisdom and where do I need to turn to God's 
I don't want to be like Solomon and have all that wisdom and think, well, I can handle it on my own. But instead, I want to rely on God and his word to guide me on the path of righteousness. We're going to stand and sing. If there's a decision that you need to make, now would be a good time to do it.